Well, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace where we're looking at some of the, the great attributes of God. And so far, we've looked at the fact that God is good, God is great, God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, God is unchanging. And then last week, we looked at the truth, the theological truth that God is in control, he's, he's sovereign. And today, we're gonna look at the theological truth or the fact that God is holy. The Bible says this in the book of Revelation, John um, has this vision of heaven and he records something that's really interesting. He sees these four special angels and it says this in verse eight, he said, each of the four living creatures these are angels, had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Day after night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, these Special angels simply say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And one of the things you have to ask yourself is why is this happening? Why is God having these special angels, these four living creatures, make this declaration over and over and over again? Literally, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, throughout all of eternity. Why? Is it for God's benefit? Does God somehow need to hear these words repeated over and over and over again? Is it a self-esteem booster for God? Well, obviously, it's not for God's benefit. I mean, he knows that he's holy, and he certainly doesn't need to have his self-esteem pumped up, but God did know that we as human beings have the tendency to forget things, or maybe at least I do. So we made sure that when we get to heaven, we're never gonna forget this important truth, the truth that God is holy. Someday, you take your last breath. If you know Christ as your savior, you're gonna be in glory. And I don't know how it's all gonna work. I just know that there's gonna be these special angelic beings and they got one job to do. And that is to simply repeat over and over and over again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But why holiness? I mean, God could have had these angels declare anything he wanted. Told you this before, that he, he could have had them say, merciful, merciful, merciful is the Lord God Almighty. And that would have been a true statement. He could have had these angels say, loving, loving, loving is the Lord God Almighty. And that would have been a true statement. He could have had these angels say, forgiving, 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 or gracious, 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 or, or caring, caring, caring is the Lord God Almighty, and all of those would have been true. But God chose holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He could have had these angels say anything he wanted them to say, but he chose holy. Why? Why did God choose holy? Well, I think there's probably lots of reasons, but let me give you the one that comes to my mind first. And that is this, he chose holiness because it's his greatest attribute. It's the summation of all that he is. He's holy. And he wants us all to remember that fact throughout all of eternity. That he is holy. Now, what exactly does it mean that God is holy? Well, it means a lot of things, but let me start with this. Okay, it means that he's different than you and I. The fact that God is holy, you're trying to figure out what it means, here it is. It simply means that he's different than you and I. He's holy. He's perfect. He's pure. He's unique. He's, he's set apart. He's majestic. There's nothing like him. He's, he's totally separate from everything else. John said this in 1 John chapter 1. He said, this is the message we have heard from Jesus and we now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. In other words, God is holy. God is righteous. He's different. He's, he's perfect. There's, there's no darkness in him. There's no sin in him. There's nothing but light. Exodus chapter 15 says this, who is like you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders? And the answer is no one. No one is like him. He's holy. He's set apart. There's nobody else like him. Now, there's, I don't know, a thousand people in here right now. We're, we're all kind of alike. We were all created in the image of God. We're, we're all alike. There's nobody like God. He's unique. He's set apart. There's no darkness in him. There's no evil in him. And there's nobody in here who can stand up and say, there's no darkness in me. There's no evil in me. There's no sin in me. Now, some of you are more evil than others. I understand that. <laughs> but we all are evil to some degree, the Bible teaches. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of, of God. There are a million books in the library, but the Bible is different than all the rest of them. It's a unique book. There's nothing else like it. Why? Because it's holy. It's 
It's called the Holy Bible. It's set apart. It's different than all the rest of the books in our library or the Stanislaus County, you know, free library downtown. A lot of books, and they all kind of look alike, but there's only one Holy Bible. It's set apart. It's different. This is a different book than any other book ever written. It's God-breathed. It's his word to us. In Luke chapter one, Mary, Mary's told that she's gonna give birth to the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus. And when she hears this, she says this in verse 48. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. It's a great statement. In Psalms chapter 111, it says, he provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Listen to what God said through the great prophet Isaiah. In chapter 40, verse 12, it says this. Who else has held the oceans in his hands? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth who has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or give him wisdom or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed Anyone's advice? Does he need instructions about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No. For all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They're nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. All the wood in Lebanon's forests and all Lebanon's animals would not be enough to make a burnt offering worthy of our God. The nations of the world are, are worth nothing to him. In his eyes, they count for less than nothing. Mere emptiness and froth. To whom can you compare God. One image can you find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold, overlaid with gold, and decorated with silver chains? To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. And that little section of, of scripture right there reminds me a lot of what God said to Job when Job was, had questions about what was happening in his life. What God does there in Isaiah chapter 40 is basically the same thing. God just lays out all these questions. Hey, are you able to hold the world in your hand? Can you do that? Are you able to do this? Has anybody needed to give you know, me advice? God says, no. And then he answers it with the Holy One. Beloved, God is holy. There, there's nobody like him, nobody. Now here's where the message is gonna get a little bit weird, okay? 
This holy God, pure God, this righteous God, this perfect God, this majestic God, this God who, like that young man said in Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created. And here we all are today. He wants to do life with you. <laughs> he wants to have a relationship with you. Why? Why would a holy, perfect, righteous God want to have a relationship with you or with me? Well, I think there's a, a, a long explanation, but let me just give you the short version of it. The reason why he wants to have a relationship with you is because he created you. And he created you different than all the rest of the things that God created. And he created it all. You and I were made in his very image. That's what makes us unique. That's what makes us special. Human life is like no other life. Um, you can step on a beetle and no one cares. Step on an ant, no one cares. Put a mouse trap in your backyard, snap! Dead mouse, no one cares. Kill a human being. and you'll spend the rest of your life in jail or prison or worse. There is something very unique about human life. We, we just intrinsically know that, whether you believe in God or not. You just kind of know that there's something unique about human life. And there is something very unique about it. The Bible tells us what makes it unique, and that is in Genesis chapter two, God creates us in his very image. This holy and righteous and pure and majestic and perfect God creates us. And he wants to have a relationship with us. Think about this. Though you and I are sinful and messed up, God who is holy invites you to have a relationship with him. And really, if you think about it, it's almost, it's almost too good to be true if you really think about it. If you're really honest about you and your life and the things that you have said that have just been crummy, the things that you have done that have been crummy, the things that you have thought that have been crummy, you know just how evil you are. You know. Now nobody in here is, you know, you know Hitler or Charlie Manson, but you know. You know the evil that has ran through your mind. You know the evil that you have perpetrated. You know it. It's just unbelievable to think that the God who just thought and he created it all, this holy God, says, hey, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to do life with, with you. And let me tell you how this happens. 
how a holy God and sinful people can have a relationship, okay? Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? And what he's going to do is he's laying out a case that God's perfect, he's holy, he's righteous, he's pure, which means heaven's this holy and righteous and pure place. So how in the world can sinful, crummy people, you know, hang out with this holy God? How does that happen? If God were to just let us all go to heaven in our sinful states, heaven would be like earth in, you know, two minutes. So how does this happen? How does holy God and an unholy human, how, do, how are we going to hang out? How are we going to do life? How is this all going to go down? He says, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And by the way, that's not a comprehensive list of all the things that'll keep you out of heaven, but it's a pretty good list. And I've told you before, I was at least five of those things before I gave my life to Christ. Could have been six, depending on how you want to unpack a particular Greek word, okay? <laughs> but I'll stick with five. <laughs> and then it says this. Some of you were once like that, yeah. Yeah, that's me, Paul. I, I was like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, by the way, that list right there, you could take every one of those things on this particular list. And like I said, it's not a comprehensive list. And there are people here at Big Valley Grace that were involved in every single one of those things. Like I said, I was five of them. But something happened to us. At the moment we received Jesus Christ into our lives, at the moment that we repented of our sins and, and invited the king into our lives and we humbled ourselves before God, he came into our lives. And the Bible says he, he cleansed us of the sin, whatever the stuff is. We, we were cleansed. And at that moment, because Christ was now in us, we were now made holy. We were now made right with God <laughs> simply because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't clean myself up. I can't make myself holy. I can't make myself right with God. He is totally holy and, and righteous and pure. I can't do it. But God can. God can cleanse me of my sin. God can make me holy. 
God can make me right so that someday when I take my last breath, I could go to a holy and righteous and perfect place. God could pull that off. I can't pull it off. You, you can't give enough money to make yourself right before God or make yourself holy before God. You can't do enough good things to make yourself right before God or you know, holy before God or to have you know, your sins cleansed, your, your life cleansed. You, there's no, you couldn't do enough. But because you were made in the very image of God, he came up with this plan to send his son Jesus here to make it possible for us to have a relationship with God. Unbelievable, just, it's just crazy. Romans chapter three says this, for everyone is sinned, everyone. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, which would be perfection. You wanna hang out with God you're gonna to have to be perfect like he is. You're gonna to have to be holy like he is. You're gonna to have to be righteous like he is, but we've all fallen short of that standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. This is the good news. The good news is it's possible for a sinful, evil guy like me or you to have fellowship with a perfect and holy God. It's possible, but it only happens one way. And that is through a relationship with Jesus because Jesus was God's son, he was perfect, he was holy, he was righteous, and by virtue of my relationship with him, God now sees me as holy and perfect and all that. That's how God sees me. Now, I know me. I, I still blow it. I still sin. But when the Father looks down from heaven, you know what, he doesn't see my sin, he sees his son. God's son trumps my sin. God's son makes me holy, makes me righteous. That's why we sing all these songs about Jesus. That's why we teach our children about Jesus. That's, that's why everything we do is about Jesus. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? That's what we're asking the people in there. Hey, we're, we're giving our gifts to Jesus. Because we understand that without Jesus, we're, we're just all doomed. We're doomed, we're just doomed in our sin. But I want you to know, it, it doesn't end here. Too many Christians do think it ends here, that once you receive Christ, you know, once you know the Lord, your sins are forgiven, and you know, you're, 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 you're made right with God. 
You see, the good news is that, that God sees us wholly through our relationship with the Son, Jesus Christ, but God also expects his, his followers, Christians, while they're walking around down here on planet Earth, to live a holy life or a righteous life or another way you could say it is a, or a, a biblical life. Positionally, I've been made holy. I've been made righteous because of Christ. And now God says, hey, listen, now that I've made you holy through my son in your life, I want you to now live a holy life, live a different life. Don't keep living the way you used to live. Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter one, he says, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy because I'm holy. And Christian, remember, God had Peter write that. that that's God's word to us. He's saying, listen, my son came and died on a cross and shed his blood for you and you've surrendered your life over to him. I'm holy and now you're one of my children. Please, live holy. Live holy now, live differently now that you're one of my children. Don't live the same old way you used to live. In fact, let me take us back to 1 John for a second, okay? And this is gonna get a little uncomfortable maybe for some of you. But John said this, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, I read this earlier, God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, we've given our life to God, I've surrendered my life over to God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. And one of the things about John, and, and when he writes, is the guy's just brutally honest. He's not worried about how you feel. He just says, look, God is holy. There's no darkness in him. And if you say that you know him, if you say that you've given your life over to him, and yet you keep living an unholy life, you keep living in darkness, you're a liar. Just lying. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, if you claim to have fellowship with God, yet you have no problem living in, in, in darkness or sin, <laughs> Jesus, John just calls you a liar. Think about this. If God, who is absolutely holy, absolutely righteous, absolutely perfect, in him there is no darkness, truly lives within you, it'll make a difference in how you choose to live, won't it? It has to make a difference. If God, who is absolutely holy and, and righteous and perfect, truly lives within you, it'll change the way you live, it'll change the way you think, it'll change the way you, know, you, you talk, won't it? You'll begin to make choices that honor the God that lives within you. You'll begin to see things from a biblical 
viewpoint. You'll, you'll begin to want to live your life based upon what God's word teaches. Now, you won't do it perfectly. Nobody does. But you'll have the desire not to live in spiritual darkness. Now, here's the deal. Somebody who tells me that they live, that they've given their life to Christ, that they've recognized their sin separated them from God, that they've invited Jesus Christ, the one who died on a cross and shed their blood, and I've invited him into my life, and they're okay living in darkness. They're okay with it. Nobody's gonna stand before me when they die. But I just want you to know, as somebody who does my best to represent what God says, you, 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 I think you're deceived. I don't think you really know Jesus. If you're okay, which is living in sin. I wouldn't feel comfortable saying, oh yeah, Sure, you can know the Lord and have the Holy Spirit living in you, the holy righteous God living within you and go on sinning and not mean anything. I can't say it. Maybe there's a preacher who will tell you that. I won't tell you that. Jesus himself said, there's gonna be a lot of people who stand before me someday and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we you know, prophesy in your name. Didn't we serve in your name? Didn't we do all these great things in your name? And Jesus is gonna say, away from, I never knew you. I never knew you. That's interesting. And that word knew, in the Greek, obviously God knows everybody. He created everybody. That word knew, when you read that verse, is, uh, has, um, has the feeling of something intimate. You and I, oh, I knew you. Oh, yeah, you had a Bible. Yeah, you knew a lot about me. Yeah, you did some things and even claimed, you know, you knew me. But, you know, the reality is we were never close. We were never intimate. You never really gave your life over to me. Never. You did a lot of things, you know, in my name. But here's the reality. You never knew me. I was reminded of two brief yet powerful moments in the life of Jesus. In John chapter five, Jesus heals a crippled man at the pool of Bethsaida. And Jesus said this to the man in verse 14. He said, now you are well, so stop sinning. Or something even worse may happen to you. Another way you might put this is Jesus says to the guy, listen, go live a holy life, will you? Quit living the way you're living. I got something better for your life than this crummy thing you're doing. Don't live that way anymore. In John chapter eight, some religious leaders bring a, a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery to Jesus and after some dialogue with those men, Jesus forgives this woman and the last thing he says to her is this. Verse 10 says, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. 
go and sin no more. Both cases, these people had this encounter with Jesus and he forgives them of their sin and he tells them to go and live differently. Don't, don't keep living the same way you're living. Live holy, live a separate life. Live a righteous life. Don't, don't keep doing the same things that you've, you, you've always been doing. In fact, one of the signs that you truly are saved, that you truly have the Holy Spirit in you, is that you'll have the desire to live a holy life. So somebody says to me, yeah, I know Christ, but you know what, who cares? I'm divorcing her anyway. I'm just, who cares? <laughs> Man, don't presume upon the grace of God, my friend. John also said this in chapter two. He said, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. This holy God, this righteous God, this pure God, um, doesn't want his people to sin. He, he wants them to live a holy life, a righteous life, a, a God-honoring life, a, a biblical life. Now, like I said, no one's gonna do it perfectly. We get it here. We have Celebrate Recovery down here on Tuesday nights and 500 people will come into this room because people blow it, okay? People blow it. Some blow it bigger than others. But we get it. We understand that sometimes the flesh, which is the headquarters of sin, the, the Adamic nature, the natural man just gets the better of us. We get it. But the beautiful thing about Tuesday night is these are people who understand that God doesn't want them to live in sin. They understand that God wants them to live a holy life, a righteous life. And they're here saying, "Woo, I'm here because I know that the life that I'm choosing to live, whatever, whatever it all is, I need some help. I need God's word. I need to have some guys around me, some gals around me, whatever it all is, guys with guys, girls with girls. I need some help. They're not okay with living in sin. That's the beautiful thing about what happens down here on Tuesday nights. John goes on to say this in verses three through six. He says, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Now listen to this. He doesn't say, and we can be sure we know him if we've said a prayer. Not that saying a prayer is wrong. Nothing wrong with saying a prayer. I often will lead people in a prayer in here. Would you like to receive Christ? Maybe the Lord has drawn you here tonight and God is opening your eyes to truth and it's all God. He does it all. And he's used the music and the testimonies and the baptism and the giving and now he's using his word and God is opening your eyes to truth. I will lead you in a prayer. But what John's gonna say is, it's not the prayer. You can be sure that you know him if you have a desire to do this, to live holy. This is how you'll really know 
You'll never have to worry about standing before God and going, man, I don't know, man. I, I, I made a decision, even though I said I knew God, I was just gonna do anything I wanted any way I wanted. No, no, you'll know when you go, wow, I have a heart to live this out, I really do. He goes on and says, if someone claims I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandment, that person's a liar, and the truth is not living in him. Now look, I'm not calling you a liar. Your trouble's not with me, your trouble's with God's word. So don't be mad at me. Hey, you're being mean, pastor, calling me a liar. I'm not calling you anything. I'm just reading what the scriptures say. You, you wrestle around with what God's word says. That's what you gotta wrestle around with. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. Man, it's when you understand your sinfulness and the evil and, and the fact that this holy God has really come to cleanse you of your sin. And when you get that, there is a desire to go, wow. God, I may not understand it all. In fact, most of it I don't understand. But if you say it, good enough for me. Good enough. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. It's really hard to miss God's point here. How you choose to live matters to God. Listen, God doesn't save you so that you can go on living the same life you were living. He doesn't rescue you or redeem your life so that you can just keep doing all the same things you were doing and thinking all the same things you were thinking. He doesn't want you to continue to live in darkness. He saves you and he gives you the power to live differently. He wants you to live a, a holy life. And, and as I said, look, once you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you're positionally made holy. God wants you to live holy, but no one's gonna live it out perfectly down here. Nobody. We're all gonna struggle. I struggle. We all struggle. Now, what exactly does holy look like? Well, Romans chapter eight says, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. Beloved, Jesus is the perfect picture of holiness, righteousness or, or, or purity, and God wants you to be like him. He wants you to become like Jesus, which means you, you just can't be okay with sin. You just can't be. It's impossible to be okay with it, struggle with it, yes. I love Tuesday nights down here, places packed up with people that are struggling with sin. It's the guy or the gal who doesn't struggle with it. That's the guy you go, what? What do you mean you don't struggle with it? I've shared this quote with you before, but it's worth looking at again, especially at a moment like this. Dr. MacArthur said this. He said, quote, it's not your perfection that proves your salvation, it's your reaction to your imperfections that prove your salvation. Now some of you are looking at that going, huh? I want you to follow this. It's not that you live a perfect life that proves you're a Christian. You can't live a perfect life. 
The proof is that when you do sin, ooh, ooh, there's some sort of reaction to it. You can't be okay with it because you have the Holy Spirit living within you. If there's no reaction to sin, you say something crummy to somebody and you have no reaction. You do something crummy, there's no reaction. That's a sign that maybe you really don't know Christ and that his Holy Spirit's not in you. His Holy Spirit's not in you. Because if the Holy Spirit is within you, you're not gonna be okay with sin in your life. Not gonna be okay with it. I've told you this before, but for those of us that are true followers of Christ, our theme verse could be Ephesians chapter four, verse 30, which says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. You see, the, the last thing that a true follower of Jesus wants to do is to live their life in such a way that they would grieve the Holy Spirit that is within them, you see? And so somebody who says, well, I know the Lord, but they just keep living in darkness and they're okay with it. Look, I'm sure there's a preacher out there who'll say, you're, you're golden. I, I'm, I, I can't do that. The Bible tells us that we're to hate sin, flee from sin, purge our lives from sin, confess our sin. The Bible says that we're to confront people who are living in sin. <laughs> Titus chapter two says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. One of the functions of the Holy Spirit living in your life is that the Holy Spirit gives you the power to say no to unholy things. Ungodly things, unrighteous things. It gives you the power to live a holy life, a righteous life. But let me just state this again. None of you are gonna do it perfectly. None of us are. I say it all the time. Look, the Bible says that we're, you know, to treat others the way we'd wanna be treated. Some people call it the golden rule. <laughs> I fumble that one a lot. And I, I, I know when I don't, the Holy Spirit just, just, I have a reaction to it. Hey, did you treat that guy the way you'd want to be treated? I don't always love people the way God wants me to love people. I don't always love people the way God loves me. God says, forgive others the way you've been forgiven. I blow that one. I don't always do that well. I don't care who you are and I don't care how long you walk with Christ, you're not gonna do it perfectly. But we all 
ought to have a desire to say, wait a minute, God is holy. That's one of the great attributes of God. And he lives in me. And God wants me to be holy. He wants me to live holy. Ecclesiastes chapter seven says, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Amen, Solomon. I don't care whether you know Christ or not. You're not, not gonna do it perfectly. Now, let me um, give you a couple thoughts as I wrap this up on how you and I might better overcome the, the sin in our lives or how we can better say no to sin so that we might live a, a, a holier life. Just two things, real quick. I hope these are a blessing to you. Number one, remember what sin did to Jesus. I talk about this a lot. A lot. It cost him his life. First Peter chapter four says, so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, because of sin, because of my sin, Jesus Christ had to suffer to the point of death, a, a brutal death, a, a heinous death, a, a humiliating death, death on a cross. Sin is an ugly thing. It is so ugly that it cost Jesus Christ his perfect and holy and righteous life. It cost him his beautiful life. Paul said, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. And what was that? Christ died for our sins. When you're about ready to make the choice to do something stupid or sinful or unholy, just take a second, just remember what it cost Jesus, it cost him his life. And the second thing that will help you, I think, say no to sin is this. Remember to always fill your mind with God's word. In other words, think the way Jesus thought. 1 Peter chapter four says, since Christ suffered while he was in his body, strengthen yourself with the same way of thinking that Christ had. Beloved, if you wanna have any chance at saying no to sin, you've got to think like Jesus thinks. And the only way you'll ever think like Jesus thinks, or you'll have the same attitude, some of your Bible say, that Jesus had, is you gotta fill your mind with God's word. The only way. Paul said this in Colossians chapter two. He said, so then, just as you received Jesus said, Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And you had to look at that word continue. The Christian life isn't just a one-time thing. It's not this moment where you pray and you invite the Lord into your life. And then somehow it's over. The, the Christian life is a journey. It's a, it's a journey that the Bible says that we're to continue in. God wants you to continue to grow in your relationship with him. He wants you to continue to learn more about him. He wants you to continue to walk in the life. He wants you to continue to walk in love and obedience. God wants you to continue to walk with Jesus. He wants you to continue to walk in wisdom. 
You see, it's not just, well, I received Christ and that's it. No, we're to continue in all of these different things so that we would have the mind or the attitude of Christ. You see, there's a difference between being a Christian and being a growing Christian or a maturing Christian. Big difference. I like the way the King James passage puts this. Instead of saying continue to live in him, the King James version, for those of you that have them, says continue to walk in him. If you want to overcome sin, here's the deal. Two simple things. If you want to live a holy life, a righteous life, down here on planet Earth, just remember that sin cost Jesus his life. It's crazy. And number two, do all that you can to live a life where you think like Jesus thinks. Think the way Jesus thinks. Fill your mind with God's word. And the more you chew and digest the word of God, the more you'll think about what sin did to Jesus. And the more you'll say, you know what? I want to live a holy life. I want to live a righteous life down here on planet Earth. Why don't you go ahead and stand up and let me, uh, let me pray for you, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, for this night. I, man, from the opening video, that was a great video, Lord. That was a lot of fun to watch that. Brought back a lot of great memories. I'm thankful for the God-honoring, sacred music, holy music we sing here. It's separated. It's different than all the rest of the music you hear. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm thankful, God, that people were obedient to you tonight in baptisms, and just being a part of that is always just great. The testimonies were fantastic. I'm thankful, God, that we had a chance to worship you through our giving and what a special moment that is. Thank you, Lord, for the scriptures. Because without this book, I got nothing to talk about. Got nothing to sing about. There's no point in even being here. But you left us this, this unbelievable library of books. And may the people of Big Valley Grace um, spend lots of time chewing on your word throughout the week, digesting your word, Lord. May we continue in this journey of faith that we're all on. And Lord, I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, hey, Lord bless you.